So probably, probably most of us here would say this about ourselves. We would say, I am a follower of Jesus. That's, that's usually why people come. Either they're a follower of Christ, they're interested in exploring what that means. And we'd say, I'm here because I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus intends for his followers to connect together with the community of faith. It helps us follow Jesus when we do so in community with other followers of Jesus. And so my question this morning is this. Followers of Jesus, where will following Jesus lead you? Where does it take us when we follow Jesus Christ? I mean, if you're following someone, it's good to know where they're going because it determines where you're going to end up, right? And so our study of the gospel of Jesus in the book of Mark and our teaching passage today shows us a glimpse of where following Jesus will lead us to. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to open there to the gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 21. And so whether you have a digital version like I do or a paper version, if you want to open to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, we have Bibles there in the pew. If you would like to use one of those, it's on page 836. And so um, this passage gives us a glimpse of where Jesus is leading those who follow him. It's kind of like when you go to Costco. I, I don't shop at Costco a whole lot, but I admit, I like to go to Costco because I usually go around noontime when they have the food samples, and I kind, of, I kind of graze my way through Costco. Am I the only one that can admit to that? Anyone else, you know, you like to go and get those food samples? Yeah, I like to do that, right? And so this passage gives us a, a foretaste, a glimpse of something, a sample of something, so to speak. Now, what, you may ask? Well, to see that, we have to look at the passage that we looked at last week to verses 14 and 15, where Jesus said this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, what Jesus says in that statement is he is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and that he has come to usher in, to bring in God's kingdom on earth. Now, that is an audacious claim, isn't it? That's an outrageous claim. Some of you know that I grew up in Texas. And in Texas, there's a saying, all hat, no cattle. You ever heard that expression before? All hat, no cattle. What it means is that, that someone makes big claims. They can, they can talk big, but there's no action. There's no power. There's no substance behind their words. It's just words, but they can't really do anything. So they're all cowboy hat, but they don't have any cattle, right? No cow. So what about Jesus' claims here? Is Jesus all hat and no cattle? What we're going to see in our passage today is, in fact, that Jesus has the cattle to back it up. In fact, we get a taste, a foreshadow of what his ranch is like and, and what his kingdom is that he's bringing in here. And so what we see is the authority of, that he has as a king to make his kingdom something that we want to be a part of. And we're going to want to follow him. 
And so there are four events that we see in the life of Christ in our passage that kind of unpack this for us. So if you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 1, verse 21, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. I, I like to do this. You don't always have to do it, but I like to do it. We read God's inspired word that he would speak into our lives today from the gospel of Jesus according to Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. It says this. They went into Capernaum and immediately, and there's that word Mark just loves to use all the time, immediately. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We pray for us. Father, we've sung that you're great, that you are our king. Will you open our hearts to see your kingdom and what it's like, Lord Jesus, and what kind of king you are? that we might follow you and experience what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, there are four ways we see the wonderful authority of this king and the kind of kingdom he's leading us to be a part of in these events. The first thing we see is this, that Jesus has authority to lead us to truth, to lead us to truth. How do we know what's real and true? Especially when you talk about God and spirituality. I mean, how can you know? Um, today, people talk about your truth and my truth, as if truth and reality were just personal and subjective and there were no objective truth out there, right? And you can't even trust what you read. You see all kinds of things on the Internet. Maybe it's the Chinese and the Russians trying to influence your vote, you know? Or maybe some other false news kind of thing. You can't even believe the pictures, right? Because people Photoshop things. And, and you wonder, how can you know what is really true and what is real? Well, actually, this, this isn't new. In fact, at the end of John 18, 
when Jesus is on his, in trial before Pilate, uh, Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to me. And Pilate's response was to say, and, and you'd have to think in a very jaded, cynical, disillusioned way, what is truth? As if it can't be known. But in reality, what Jesus said is true. He does bring truth. This is why Jesus could say what he says here in our passage. Look at our passage at what it says about his teaching. Look at verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And then skip down to verse 27. Look at verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So what we notice is Jesus' teaching had authority. It was something that he had and it, it, that was different from the kind of teaching of the scribes. Now, the scribes were the religious scholars of the day for the Jewish people. And, and the people were contrasting Jesus' authority with that of the scribes. Sociologists distinguish between two kinds of authority that people act with. The first is extrinsic, E-X, extrinsic authority. It's authority that is outside of one's self. And this is how the, the scribes taught. What they would do is they would refer to sometimes the Old Testament, but more commonly, rather than point to an Old Testament, they would point to a respected Jewish rabbi about some kind of man-made religious ritual or, or, or teaching. And they would say, you should listen to what I say because Rabbi so-and-so teaches this. And that was the basis of their authority. It was extrinsic. It was outside of themselves. Now, to be candid, um, this is the kind of authority I have to offer you today, myself. You know, why should you listen to anything that I'm saying? It has nothing to do with me, right? Nothing to do with me intrinsically. All I can do is point you to Scripture and try to explain the teaching of Scripture in a responsible way. And so the authority... If I have any authority, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the authority of God's inspired word and my faithfulness in pointing you to that. Now, in contrast to this extrinsic kind, there is intrinsic authority. And that is the kind of authority that someone has inherent within them themselves. And this is how Jesus taught. When Jesus taught, he didn't have to say, Rabbi so-and-so says that. In fact, he didn't even have to say the Old Testament says, even though Jesus did quote the Old Testament a great deal in his teaching. All Jesus had to say is, this is the way it is. And it was with authority because of who he is. He is God in human form. And so the authority is within him himself. This is why Jesus could say what he says in John 14. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would also have known my Father. You would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, you'll notice in that statement, Jesus doesn't say, I know the truth. He says, I am the truth. The one who personifies truth in and of himself. Because when you see me, Jesus said, you see God the Father, too. This is this whole Trinity thing, right? God the Holy Spirit, uh, Son, and Father. And, and, and so 
Let me kind of channel my own inner scribe and quote a, a religious teacher to help explain this. Tim Keller says this about authority. He says the word authority literally means out of the original stuff. That's what our English word authority means, out of the original stuff. Um, and and, and it's, it's derived from the same word that we get the word author. In fact, look at the word authority. Greg, have you got that up there? Look at that. It's authority, right? Authority. The author is the source of everything in the story, everything in the book comes out of the author. He writes it. He determines what's in there. And what Mark is saying is this. Jesus taught about life with original rather than derived authority. He didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply inter interpret scriptures in the way that the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author, and it left them dumbfounded. Here's the point. If you want to understand the truth about yourself, don't look inwardly. If you want to understand the truth about life and about the world around you, the truth of that is not going to be found on the Internet somewhere. It's found in the author, the one who created you in his own image the one who died on the cross for you, the one who created everything in the world and is the sovereign ruler of everything. If you want to rightly understand who you are, your place in the world, your purpose in life, you look to the author, the one who created you and the one who is ruling. This is why Jesus could say what he says in John 8. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus' teaching are truth. And thankfully, God had inspired men to write what Jesus taught and what Jesus did so we can experience and know the truth that is in him. And furthermore, Jesus says in John 16... When the Spirit of Truth, this is the Holy Spirit, and notice Jesus refers to him here as the Spirit of Truth. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit of Truth helps us understand the truth that we find in Jesus Christ. He is a king of truth, and he leads us into a kingdom of truth. And so if I want to know the truth about God and about myself and about life, I want to follow Jesus. He is the king of truth that leads us into a kingdom of truth. Secondly, we see in, in the story that we're processing through here, Jesus has the authority to lead us to spiritual deliverance. Um, we just read in verse 8 where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Next, we see a very graphic illustration and example of that. Look with me at verse 23, please. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Now, for most of us, this is a pretty foreign experience, isn't it? Only one time in my life have I ever been involved in casting out a demon from a person. It was actually back when I was in high school. 
And it happened, just like here in the synagogue, it happened at church. And this is not a fancy church service or some kind of uh, charismatic evangelist or something like that. After church, the pastor and I were um, talking, and we left the worship center, and we were walking down the hall, and we encountered a young woman that I went to high school with and came to our church, and I, I don't know how to explain it. All I can say is she went demonic, <laughs> and it was not a seizure. It was not a mental breakdown. It, it was, it was she, she just went demonic. And so in the name of Christ, we called the demon to come out of her. And there was the whole falling on the floor and writhing around kind of experience. And then immediately she was radically changed. In fact, she talked about how that changed things in her life that had been going on for a long time. And I thought, wow, the devil comes to church. <laughs> and that's exactly what we see here, right? That kind of thing happens. My point is this. There is a spiritual reality to our world. And to our nature as spiritual beings created in the image of God and spiritual beings at work. And people respond to this in one of two ways. One is they go to seed on this where they fixate on this and everything is about demons. And, you know, there's, as they say, a demon under every bush and they dismiss mental illness and other physical kinds of things. And they, they just are all demon, demon. The other way that we tend to do in response to this is just kind of to ignore it. Yeah, you read about in the Bible, and maybe way back then there were demons and stuff, but we don't ever really think about the reality of these spiritual forces in our life today. But Paul makes it very clear it is a reality that we have to deal with. He writes in Ephesians this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, because the, uh, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there is a reality that there are spiritual forces, but Jesus is greater and more powerful, but we have to deal with them in spiritual ways. Why do you think Jesus does what he does in verse 35? Look with me at verse 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus knew that to, that to do the kinds of things that he needed to do with the spiritual realities that he had to deal with, he needed God the Son to call out to God the Father, in prayer, he knew what his disciples would come to learn later when they encountered a small boy that was possessed of a demon and they were unable to cast the demon out of the boy and they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And you remember what he said to them, that kind takes prayer. So Jesus was investing in prayer because of the spiritual forces that he was dealing with. Now, thankfully, not all people are spiritually possessed by demons. <laughs> but we are all spiritual beings. And dare I say, we are spiritual beings who are oppressed and harassed in spiritual ways. We have to deal with this. But because of who Jesus is, and the demons rightly identified Jesus. You'll notice they called him the Holy One of God. Now that's not a term for the Messiah. That's referring to the absolute deity of Jesus' nature. That Jesus is God. And so Jesus has authority over these demonic 
spirits and this demonic spirit in the man. And, and so while people may not all be spiritually possessed, all people are under the dominion of sin and bondage to sin and bondage to the penalty of sin. And so Jesus delivers us from that. And Paul explains it this way in Romans 6 when he talks about how Jesus deals with the reality of people's bondage in spiritual ways to sin. He says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has, uh, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, he's talking about through faith, we believe that we will also, we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never again die. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. And through faith in Christ, that is our experience. We, in Christ, are dead to the dominion and power of these sinful and spiritual things. And we have life. And so he offers us spiritual deliverance. What a great king. Not only does he lead us to the truth, he leads us to a kingdom that is not under the bondage of sin and its consequences. And this leads to a third thing that he does as king. Jesus has the authority then to lead us to eternal life. Look with me, please, at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogues and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And then there's a summary statement of how after sunset, and you remember in, in the Jewish day, uh, the next day begins at 6 o'clock at sunset. And so with the Sabbath being over, then they could pick up people and carry them to Jesus. And so after sunset, they bring all these people, and he heals them, and he casts out demons. And the point is this. Jesus not only brings us spiritual deliverance, but Jesus has authority and power over physical death and disease and suffering. His kingdom is a kingdom of eternal life and health. Now, this healing here, I think, is a sample of the health and the life of his kingdom. A kingdom where there's no longer going to be disease and death and suffering. And so, there is a, there's a way, when we put our faith in Christ that we experience his present kingdom. We have his joy. We have his peace. But there are aspects of this kingdom that are still to come, that will not be experienced until the consummation of the kingdom is fully come. And so this is the Costco food sample part of it, right? Where we just get a taste. He heals people, and it's showing us that even now at the beginning of his ministry, all who believe in him can have hope that he's leading us to a place where there's no longer going to be disease and death. Let me ask you this. Why do you think Jesus didn't simply go out one day and raise his hands and just proclaim instant healing for all humanity everywhere in the world and bring an end to death and disease right at that moment? He could have done that. Why did he not do that? Why did he only heal individuals he encountered rather than just get rid of it all? Well, look at verse 15 again, where he says the kingdom of God is, notice, it's at hand. It's not fully here yet. Jesus still had to deal with the root issue of why our world is broken. 
and why we experience disease and death. And that's sin. He still had to die on the cross. He still had to be resurrected. And he still has yet to return again. And that's when his kingdom will be fully realized and will have the consummation of all that we see. So what we get here is a glimpse of the kind of life, the kind of life that death and disease will never hinder. And what does that do for us? That gives us hope. You know, John, I couldn't help but think about you and your loss of your dear wife after all of those many, many years. Where do you have hope when you lose your mate? Where do you have hope? I thought about Michael, who yesterday spoke at his brother's service. Where do you have hope when you come to the graveside? The hope is the foretaste that we see, the reality that disease and even death itself is not the final word. That our king is a king that leads us to eternal life. And we have the hope of the resurrection. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The early part of his ministry begins with healing so that we can see his is the kingdom of life and not of death. And what hope that gives us when we face our sufferings here and now. And, and finally, Jesus has the authority to lead us to purpose. Now, Pastor Zach, you talked about this last week, and here it surfaces again. Look with me at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. God's kingdom is for everyone and all the world who is willing to follow Jesus, to put their faith in Christ, to trust him and to follow him. And, and, and so he wants to proclaim, he wants to preach the good news of God's kingdom to people who have not heard. Jesus was a preacher. I like that. Sometimes I, sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't mean to preach at you. And I always want to say, what's wrong with that? You know, not because I'm a preacher, but because that was Jesus' primary ministry. He healed people, but his primary authority in ministry was in his teaching. Because he wants people to hear that he's a king that wants to lead them to a kingdom like what we're getting a sample of here. He wants everyone to hear and to come. And, and, and you might say, well, sure, that's Jesus' mission. But I want to remind you of what he said about his authority and how this authority that we've been reading about, that he teaches with and heals with, how this authority relates to us. At the end of his ministry, after his resurrection, you remember that great commission passage where Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, go, therefore. Here's the so what for us as followers. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
See, it's not about just what Jesus does in us and for us. It's what in his authority he wants to do through us. He wants us to tell the good news of the gospel to others, that they might follow this king and come into his kingdom. This is why we have this local missions emphasis. Why do we ask you to pray about and to volunteer and to give money to organizations like Vision House and the other things that we're supporting? Because we want to help share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why when you look at our five bold steps we're going to talk about in our meeting to come, one of them talks specifically about evangelism, about sharing the good news with others. This is what he gives us, a wonderful mission and purpose in life. And, and, and so I want to follow him because the most meaningful thing I can do with my life is help others come to experience the truth and spiritual deliverance and eternal life and to find God's mission and purpose for their life. That's the best thing I can do for others and the most meaningful thing I can do in my life. And so he gives us this wonderful, wonderful mission. So I want to close by asking you a question about your life. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and I make that claim, are you all hat and no cattle? I mean, do we just show up and talk about it? Or we, do we live our life following this king, this amazing king who wants to lead us to experience truth, spiritual deliverance, eternal life, and to live a purposeful, missional life. Is that how we live our life each day? I'm going to ask God to help us. It's easy for me to just show up and talk on Sunday. It's a lot harder to follow Jesus on Monday. Let's pray for each other about that, shall we? Father, I thank you that you come in the person of Christ to reveal yourself to us, that we can know the truth. Boy, there are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of philosophies. There are a lot of things that people say about what is true and what is real. I thank you that in Christ we see that personified. I thank you that you want to deliver us from the bondage of sin and from the spiritual forces in life, that we can have spiritual deliverance and that you want us to have eternal life and what a hope that gives us. And you invite us to follow you on the mission that you lived out that we continue to share the good news of this wonderful king in his kingdom. Help us be faithful to do that. Not just show up at church and talk about it on Sunday, but to actually follow you on Monday through Saturday as well. Thank you, oh Lord, for who you are. Thank you for where you are leading us to. In Jesus' name, amen.